This week, we sit with Jaleesa Trapp and Arif Garcel to discuss how they bring their culture to the world of IT in the Pacific Northwest. Arif Garcel is a serial entrepreneur who grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and graduated from the historical Tuskegee University with a computer science degree before receiving an MBA from the University of Chicago. He is the founder of multiple startups, including Floodgate Academy and Vibe Heavy. His resume, experience, and commitment to building community make him one of technology's most influential people to know. Jaleesa Trapp is a computer science instructor from Tacoma, Washington's Hilltop neighborhood. After graduating from the University of Washington's Human-Centered Design and Engineering program, she opted to return to her community to teach coding at the Intel Computer Clubhouse, where she was first introduced to coding in middle school. She has a deep passion for building community and social justice and will pursue a master's degree at MIT's Media Lab this fall. School is teaching you to be perfect and like drive theory to perfection. Right. Corporations are saying, give me the best thing fast as you can that <laughs> yeah. can make me money. Right. You got to choose one of those. What's up, everybody? I go by the name of Domo. And I go by the name of Yoshiko. And each week, we sit down with cultural ambassadors to talk about how they defied societal norms to live their lives with, with no, no blueprint. blueprint. Who are you? I am a pan-African man living in a white man's world right now. Um, I don't know. Who am I? My dad, first. I'm a son. Husband. Father. Friend. Activist. Alchemist. Revolutionary. That's who I am a lot it's funny because when everybody asks me this question like I try to think of something deep but I can't I don't know um, a teacher friend community activist um, technologist I don't know what else to describe myself unless we want to start getting a little like ratchet so <laughs> yeah I mean I mean that we can go wherever you want to go <laughs> Go ratchet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How do y'all define culture? That's a good question. Um, I guess for me, I've always known my culture, at least, to just be all black everything, loving everything black. Um, my parents made sure of that from a young age. Uh, I didn't know that The Wizard of Oz was a movie. I thought I only knew The Wiz. Because my parents only bought black movies. Um, I thought everybody knew what Juneteenth was. Um, we stayed home from school to watch the Million Man March. And I went to school the next day like it wasn't a holiday yesterday. I was confused. Um, so my cult, like for me, uh, my culture has always been um, loving who I am, loving um, what I look like, other people mm -hmm. who look like me. Mm. And so I always thought when I was growing up, I thought that everybody's culture was like that everybody you know loved people who looked like them and mm. uplifted people like that i don't know i'm personally not in the habit of redefining words mm. um i think words have definitions mm. and i like to use and operate off those de definitions yeah people have operational definitions of words where they try to reassign terminology and those are the most confusing people for me to ever talk to because I can't <laughs> communicate with them because uh, they're using language that I know the word that just came out of your mouth. I just don't understand how you're using it. Yeah. Um, so when we started this, I actually took a swipe at that really quick because I always love to 
level set on language with people when I have right. conversations to make sure we're having the same thing. So we're here. I'll, I'll say what the definition of culture is, and then I'll kind of like the sister says what it means to me. But culture mm-hmm. is a general term for the social behaviors and norms found in human societies. Culture is a central concept in anthropology, encompassing the range of phenomena that are transmitted through the social social learning in human societies. Mm-hmm. So that's the definition of culture. Right. So I only operate off that definition because <laughs> I'm speaking English. Outside of that, I've always kind of embodied it to be the contextual normality, mm. right? Like, so what is normal to me? Very much like the sister described, I grew up in that same household, right? right. It was black, all black, everything, right? right? That's my culture. My culture is one of black American culture, more specifically black conscious American culture, or even more specific, a sense of Afrocentrism, mm. right? Being, being, being Afrocentric in my thinking, not just black, right. right? Because to me, that black is a label that's assigned. And, and so... My family has always come from being conscious of our roots, not mm-hmm. being in this country or in this culture. Mm-hmm. So always being a family to connect back to some sense of source that, you know, originated on the continent. Right. So, you know, I think I when I started off saying I'm a Pan-African man in a white man's world, right? right? I mean, that just goes, you know, for me, what that means is, like like the sister was saying, I've grown up in a household always very conscious of 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 my background but also also very conscious of the fact that I'm moving in a in a society that is not I'm not the dominant or the dominating culture is kind of how I like to say it right so my culture is not the dominating culture mm-hmm. so as a result I have to tiptoe back and forth between mm-hmm. right what I feel is my contextual normality versus what is the contextual normality for the society I have to walk around in and so that puts me in con- constant conflict right Right. How did you get to information technology? It wasn't until the seventh grade. Mm. We had a computer at my house, but all I did was play games like on AOL and chat. (laughs) I started going to an after-school program called the Computer Clubhouse, and I didn't want to go at first, but that's when my parents had just got a divorce, and um, a family friend came and got me. It was like, you're not staying home after school. You and your sister, come on. And... It was ran by a black woman, and she, you know, just kind of pulled me into it. Like, you're sitting there playing games on the computer, but you could be learning this, you could be learning that. And so that's where it all started for me. I started going to the clubhouse every day after school, started doing the Girls' Day program on Saturdays, and kind of just built a family there because my mom was always at work or at school, and so... It was a way for me to still build a community when I didn't have that at home. Hmm. Do you know the history of the clubhouse? Yeah, so the computer clubhouse, it's a network, a worldwide network. And so I actually started going when our clubhouse opened in January 2001. Hmm. And it actually came out of MIT Media Lab. Hmm. They created this computer clubhouse model and there are more than 100 clubhouses around the world. That's crazy. And you grew up in Tacoma? Yes, I grew up in Tacoma. Uh, I still live in Tacoma. <laughs> what about yourself? I think my parents had the foresight to know that computers were coming. Mm. I don't think they knew. I don't think anybody could envision the world we live in now unless you were just a sci-fi buff. <laughs> Right? Like, yeah. we, you know what I mean? Like, we're living the world that, you know, I remember watching in movies and shit. Like, I still don't have my flying car hoverboard, but outside of that, <laughs> we're pretty much in, like, 
we in the movies, right? We're in, you know, I'm 38, right? So I'm a, I'm an 80s baby, and and by that you have people say the 80s babies like they were born in the 80s. Like I I kind of say 80s baby like I came of age in the 80s, right? So pop culture or 80s pop culture was what I chewed on right mm-hmm. and so back to the future and all right. of these things where we right. were always talking in the Jetsons I mean that's that's the cartoon I grew up with right like the, the future and the computer that talks to you and that's Alexa right, right. like right. so right? Yeah. so right. my parents always had that kind of foresight I think they knew that like this tech thing is real computers are real we're just seeing the world getting more and more advanced and so they always say you should do something in it I didn't want to right I was an artist I was an architect kind of major right in my mind I just wanted to draw and create and sketch and then they had an opportunity, and my mother worked at the Department of Corrections in New York, mm. and the city brought new computers or something. And at the time, IBM 386s were like what they had, and you could either either they let people take their computers home, or you could like buy the computer from the city for like fifty dollars. It was like it was like a refurbished program or something. Mm. My mom was like, I think she got hers free or something because she was like in a supervisory position. Like if you want to take this, you can. Mm. She was like, I don't know what I'm gonna do with it, but I'm about to take it for my kid. Yeah. And so my mom lugged this computer on the train <laughs> in New York, you know, trying not to get robbed. Dang. And she was like, probably the only reason I didn't get robbed is people didn't know what the hell it was, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and it's like you know, and so she brought this computer home and then went and bought a basic book. When and bought a book on basic mm. and we just mm. went in the store and asked the dude like hey if i want to get my son into computers and he was like look get me starting with programming with this book wow and so she just brought me this book and i just started playing around and you could do just build like little simple games little stupid stuff but it just started kind of like that thing for me that like computers weren't just this thing that outputted stuff it was this thing that i could input things to and right. it, then it outputted stuff right so it just was a different so i think that was my journey but i never thought i was going to be like professional in right. computers until like I literally was in college I switched my major to computer science because I got frustrated from an arts major mm. right like I'm gonna show you right yeah. <laughs> like I'm gonna go do English and then yeah. I was like hell no nah, I'm not gonna get a job if I do that right and so, then <laughs> I, and so then I switched to computer science and then it was literally like I, at my junior year of college I became a freshman again a freshman computer science major wow. and so that's that was like the first time I kind of said I'm gonna go do this professionally before then it was just playing around like hacking like you know like sister said just going to hang out hanging out with other geek black geek friends right (laughs) Right? who did this kind of stuff you know what you know computers is cool now it's kind of cool now like when I was doing it it was not the cool thing to be doing (laughs) like you know you can kind of get a girl girls think it's cool now right like when I was doing it you ain't want nobody to know you like in the back room (laughs) you know you, you Computers and Dungeons and Dragons, right? That's, right. that's, that's, that's you know, that's, that's how I got into it. That's crazy. That's crazy. So, yeah, that's, that's crazy. Like, there's a lot of, a lot of things had to align from the dude at the store who said, here's this Visual Basics book, to your mom carrying on the train, to you actually wanting to sit down and open this book and actually do it. That's dope. I don't know if it's about alignment. I think it's, it's exposure. Right. Right? Like... You don't you don't know what's there unless somebody just puts it in front of you, right? right? And so I think as a dad now, you know, I look at my kids like I don't I have a want for them, and my only want for them is that they are successful and hungry for something. Yeah, right. Like I don't care what that something is, right? But I think my job at this stage is just to put things before them, right? right? And so like her going to that after school program, somebody just giving me a basic book, mom lugging this, you know, it's just like I don't know where you're gonna go with it. But at least I gave you an opportunity to just know that there's an option out here in the world 
and I think we come from communities right now where that only option is basketball or like music right. or crime, right? And it's just that's that's the other thing people are being exposed to, and it's not that they want to do it; it's just exposure, right? <laughs> right. right. Somebody come home and say, "Hey, these crack rocks," instead right. of this basic book with C plus plus, learn how to push them rocks. Right. right. That's true. That's true. That's yeah. true. Your culture and IT. That interaction, what was it like outside of the clubhouse in Tacoma? Did those things interact, or was that something that you had to leave the city to go find? So it's funny. Um, so the person who ran the clubhouse, um, LaVersa Sullivan, she worked at Honeywell like in the 80s. And, you okay. know, she was like one of those pioneers in computer science. Like when you talk about hidden figures, like that's like her story. Right. And so. For us at the clubhouse, like that was normal for us to be creating websites, doing video production, everything. It was so normal to us at the clubhouse, mm. even though we were in the middle of the hood. Like our grand opening, um, there's somebody who remembers the police chasing somebody down the alley. Not and this was at our grand opening. <laughs> and we were just like, oh, well, we just went back to what we were doing. And there was like funders there and they were all kind of scared, like what's going on? <laughs> so it was... It was very normal to us there, and we could talk to each other the way that we normally talk. Right. When I was a junior in high school, I got an internship at Microsoft. That's when I was like, oh my goodness, this is this is weird. Because, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't have a car. We couldn't afford I couldn't afford a car. I don't even know if my mom had a car at that point. Mm -hmm. But I had to take the bus from Tacoma to Redmond. So I had to wake up at 4.30 in the morning every day that summer. Wow. Um, and the same with the next summer, too. Wake up at 4.30 to get to Redmond by 8 a.m. To, to do my internship. And it was, real, it was real different. There were a few other black students, but they were all from Seattle. They were all like, oh, Tacoma? Mm. <laughs> so it was, it was different. And then when I got to UW, it was, I wasn't, it was a culture shock for me. Mm. I was like, UW's not that far, but... You know, I'm in classes with people talking about going to their dad's lake house for the weekend. Mm. And I'm like, I'm going back to Tacoma for the weekend right. so I can do my laundry. Like, I don't... It was really different. I think that just the environment made it... Made me kind of shut down and I didn't really want to talk to people. I didn't really make a lot of friends mm. in my department while I was at UW because there was just this barrier. Mm. And if people weren't like ignoring the fact that I was there, they were making jokes that were so offensive that, you know, I don't want to fight them, but I would. Right. <laughs> and so it was, it was hard to navigate that. Mm. But now that I am a teacher, a computer science teacher, I get to change that. Mm -hmm. And so now these kids think it's normal to be taught computer science by a black woman. So. What was what department were you in, or what was your major at UW? So I started out in the computer science department, and I did not like it, and I switched to human-centered design and engineering. Yeah. Okay. And so when you were talking about in your department, the you didn't hang out with the people, was that human-centered? Just okay. Mm -hmm. How did you get to Tuskegee? I went to a specialized high school in mm -hmm. Brooklyn, so you could test into the school Brooklyn Tech, and that's when I met other people I wasn't just the only kid who was doing this yeah. right it, like before then man I was just like my friends was on the internet yeah. 
Yeah, like she said, it was AOL, Yahoo chat rooms. I was in the dark, dark bowels of the web. Like, them was, them was my homies, man. Like, you know, hey, you got this new hack for this? Yeah, man, you know, that. And so it was ill because I walked into a high school where, you know, New York City's a diverse city. So it's not like, you know, I, I didn't experience whiteness mm. as this phenomenon mm. until I was in my 20s. Right, like I grew up in New York City. New York is like, yeah, we got white people, but they ain't dominating, <laughs> right? They ain't the dominant culture. It's like we don't everything. even deal with whiteness, right? Like, so that the whole concept of whiteness is not even really dealt with in New York. Like, yeah, you can masquerade as white, but you Italian, you right. Czechoslovakian, you, you know, we make people draw their lines <laughs> on, like, you know, who are you? What neighborhood are you from? Right. Where you know? So when I went to a specialized high school, I walk into a high school with like. My homies is Dominican, Puerto Rican, Haitian, you know, and the dudes who really taught me how to get down on the coding was some Chinese cats wow. from Chinatown. Who yeah. dads was like straight up triad. They was some badass fucking like Chinese kids, dude. Yeah. It was like, you know, and it was for me it was crazy because you hear like the hood, but then you meet like this hood kind of like Chinese element yeah. of like. Y'all got Chinese gangs? Right? <laughs> like, you know, because I'm from Ben Star. I've never I've never hung out with people from Chinatown, right? Like y'all from flat out, like straight up from Chinatown. Right. But because you you go to this specialized high school, right. people come in from all over the city where normally you have to go to your neighborhood school, right? right? And these schools are the only ones that like you break those rules where you come from Queens, Bronx, wherever. Right. So that's how I kind of, you know, got into it. Then from Tuskegee, from I was an athlete. Um, I had all kind of D1 scholarships, offers. I was going to go to a D1 school. I did it off a of legacy. So my family, as far as I could trace back to slavery, um, came from Opelika in Tuskegee, Alabama. And so that's where my family lineage is from. Okay. My uncle, who was that person who I wanted to be like growing up, he went to Tuskegee, um, studied architecture. So I also wanted to go to Tuskegee and study architecture because the school was built by students. It was built by slaves. Wow. And so what better place to study architecture than a black school that was built by black architects who were right. slaves and masons right, right? <laughs> right. i mean you, you get no more ancient architecture than masonry coming through slavery right. enough to build <laughs> like they still build in structures that is fucking like great right so mm. that's how i got there and then ultimately i switched my major while i was at tuskegee microsoft came down very similar story i had an internship opportunity to come out here um and intern with them and you know Got my first culture shock. Yeah. <laughs> Very That's similar crazy. to what this right. describes. <laughs> say. It, was um, it was just like, because before then, man, like I went to an all-black college studying computer science. Right. So I didn't even deal with the culture shock in college. Right. Right. Like every, every I walk into a building where I got a Chinese teacher in an all-black classroom. Like there's no whiteness in here. Right. <laughs> So we're not talking about Star Wars. Right. There's like, there's no concept. I mean, that's why, you know, my whole thing based on culture misfits is based mm -hmm. on that, right? And like what we talk about at Floodgate is like, just what she said, like I teach in a black environment. Right. There's there's nothing about what we do that's gonna be, you know, quote unquote, trying to not be us. We comfortably us, we playing hip hop, we turning up. Right. We, you know, I'm making uh, the concepts I'm using and the analogies I'm using to reinforce computer science concepts are coming from hip hop and, right. and shit from my environment and community and culture. Right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. What did you end up doing after undergrad? After undergrad, I was a crazy person and I did AmeriCorps. <laughs> I did too. So I say I was crazy just because we had Microsoft, Google, Apple, Boeing, all these companies recruiting at our school 
all the time. Mm. I had even flown out to New York for an interview with some company there down in Manhattan, and I ended up going back to Tacoma mm. to do AmeriCorps. So I was a math and science tutor and academic coach for high school students. Mm. What high school? Um, so a couple of different high schools in Tacoma, but I was assigned to my old high school. And um, so it was through Peace Community Center. And at Peace Community Center, they have Hilltop Scholars. Okay. And so, and I, that was a program that I'd also done, Hilltop Scholars. And nice. so I went back and did AmeriCorps there and was assigned to my old high school. Okay. Nice. What'd you end up doing after college? A couple of iterations of college. I dropped out and came to Microsoft full time. Oh, wow. Um, decided to do what everybody else was doing. We should screw screw school. We'll go try to get this get this bag. <laughs> um, hey, went back to school. Wound up finishing at Tuskegee about four years later. I went back, and then just got in a career. Man, I did what I call the bloody triangle of software development, dev test, and PM. Um, so I argue with myself a lot. So I think that's why I'm the crazy person I am now. On <laughs> look, I acknowledge it. Right. <laughs> First step, first step, brother. <laughs> yeah, listen, real shit. First step is look. I know I'm I'm a little out there. I'm, I'm you know, but it's because I've you know I've done a bunch of these things, and it's how I've, I view the world and technology different because I've had the the fortune of, of building product from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what I did after school. It's just I started building, started trying to chase. I got I, I didn't what I didn't like about college was the theory mm-hmm. of computer science. It was it was just so much theory. And I had like all of these teachers who I, at one point in time, I just realized that like, y'all freaking researchers, man. Y'all don't know how to get to the bag. Mm. Like you actually have never made money because if you did, you would not be sitting here in Alabama teaching me. <laughs> and so it, I got to that point where I had to realize that I have to talk to you when I care about theory, but I have to go seek out other things when I want to get to application. And so that's why I, I dropped out of school, right? Because mm-hmm. it was like, all right, I, I did an internship, and these dudes is getting to the bag, right? right? Like, they taking theory, but some of this shit they ignoring because this software buggy as hell. Right. So it's not like we not, we not, <laughs> it's not NASA, right? We not shipping perfect software. And the right. dude told me, he's like, look, man, nobody life is on the line. Like, that shit got a bug in it, nobody gonna die, <laughs> right? And I was like, oh, okay. It don't have to be perfect, right? Because you come from school, right? Like, right. you gotta have, like, perfect code, right? That's like, real. That's real. you don't pass class hey. with 60% of your code working. Right, yeah. right, right. Right. Companies is making billions of dollars with fifty percent of their code working, and we could give you the whole hundred, but that's bad for business. <laughs> that's bad for like, oh, don't worry, they're gonna pay for it. Right, right like right. they on the hook, half of it work. Right, right. Hide the bad half, put a new UI on it. Right, like so, so like if you really think about those two <clears throat> things, day and day in juxtaposition, right? Like, right. school is teaching you to be perfect and like drive theory to perfection. Right. Corporations are saying, give me the best thing fast as you can that <laughs> yeah. can make me money. Right. You got to choose one of those. That's real. Right? And so one of my homies always said, man, A's become professors and C's hire the B's. And I decided to be a C. Hire me some B's and <laughs> go get after that bag. <laughs> That's real. That's real. That's real. What part of IT and, and design did you find yourself falling in love with or or becoming passionate about? So I like to create things, play around with stuff. So physical computing is Mm -hmm. what I really like. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of everything that 
I write code for it doesn't have to be on the screen. It could be something that I can touch that can sense things. So mm. I like robotics and I like physical computing. Nice, nice, nice. Tell me more. Yeah, I want to hear her talk more too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't get to just drop little, yeah, drop little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like, I like fucking AI physical. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a geek. You can't just drop a little bit of gym yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah like I, <laughs> this is a geek talk, right? Because I'm a teacher. Right now, the unit that we're working on is physical computing, mm. and so. We started out with Makey Makey, which is a basic microcontroller, mm -hmm. and now we're working on Arduino, and so it's always fun to go back to that and look at like how I started learning Arduino and mm -hmm. going back to those basic projects and seeing kids' faces light up when their LED light starts blinking, right. then start adding other sensors. So we just got a couple of new sensors, like a temperature, humidity, light sensors that they're working with and I don't know I really I like that I like to see what other people come up with because it's not like when I took a computer science class and everybody had to do the same project mm -hmm. everything was the same I really like to see what other people create and then see how people can collaborate and build off of that how do you build the collaborative environment in your classroom oh I don't give everybody a microcontroller mm -hmm. I put one for a pair so they have to work together Okay. People don't get to work by themselves in my class. They're <laughs> always working with somebody else. They have to collaborate. That's what's up. That's what's up. And I guess pointing out the fact that both of you are teachers. Tell us about how you got to Floodgate Academy and then what do you want the outcome to be? Yeah, you, you, wow. That's a <laughs> lot, bro. Um... Floodgate Academy is the manifestation of all my out of my rage from being a black man in tech for mm -hmm. 20 years and tired of the lip service and narrative around diversity and how we can't find black engineers. Mm -hmm. um, as somebody who runs for profits and nonprofits, I hired I started a consulting engagement with a company a month ago. And in one day, I hired six black engineers. Easy. And so. For these large multi-billion multi dollar companies to tell me they can't find black people of skill to hire, it's just bullshit, right? And so, for me, it was like, okay, you're saying that, then I'm gonna go start solving the problem by A, I'm just gonna go prop up a bunch of black engineers that I know I've put through the paces because I've been a hiring manager and I've been an engineer and I know what it is. The other side of it is activism for me, it's economic activism. I believe similar to what the predatory lending market did to black communities, the boot camp industry is doing to us. Mm. Um, these companies are showing up, getting people to sign up for loans, getting people to refi houses, getting people to pay $15,000 to $20,000 for boot camp education, promising them jobs that don't exist. Mm. Um, there is nobody waiting to hire you. <laughs> Just so this 93% right. higher rate diversity scholarship bullshit is just, it's, it's PR and it's predatory on my community. And so for me, it was, you know, if there are people out here that's telling me they really want to code and they want to go do this and they want to change their life, then I felt like it was me and my homies' responsibility to take what we had as our skill and give it back. That's real. Right? And so that's, that's like, for me, that's what the nonprofit was, is how can we give back I don't have a bunch of money I can go out and throw in the community, but I can teach you how to go get money, right? And so if I can teach you how to take go from $20,000 to a $70,000 career in a year, 
give me hustle and dedication. Like what she said, you get up on the bus at 4.30 in the morning and get to me, hey, that, that's all I need. I just need people who are willing to work that hard. Right. If you're willing to work that hard, I can put you on rails to get you to the end game. And so that's what Floodgate is, man. I mean, basically is going into, um, you know, underserved communities, black and brown communities, and, and empowering them, right? right. It was started by um, my, my, my good brother, Devaris, down in the Bay Area, his homie, Deffin, um, you know, black man, um, Southeast Asian man, who just looked at, basically said, look, we come from the same communities, and ain't nobody like us in these tech companies, how we get on, you right. know what I mean? And so that's that's the focus, right? Sure. And so we don't charge, it's tuition-free, it's a year-long program. Part of it is just, you know, it's in classroom, but then I also, for the first internship period, I hire them to come work for me. Mm-hmm. So if you, I basically, it's like it's like my brand, my stamp. So like when I go to a Microsoft, I go to Expedia, who just came on as official partners for Floodgate actually this week and say, nice. you know, how do we, how are we going to be competent knowing that, we, you know, your students are competent or how can we hire them? And I'm saying, well, look, I'm not going to send them to you unless I would hire them. And I'm basically showing you that I put, I hired them first. Right. <laughs> right? right. Like, if anything, you're going to have to hire them away from me. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, and, and so that's what it is. So the first three months for them is they go through, go through curriculum and then they come work for my agency for three months. Mm-hmm. And so they actually shadow some of my senior engineers who are working on projects for multi-million dollar companies. They shadow them. They sit on phone calls. They sit in meetings. They take notes. They run tasks. Because part of it is, you know, what I realize and like what, what, what the sister Jaleesa said is there's a culture to this business as well that if you don't get taught that too, it's not just about teaching you how to code. It's like you got to know how to act in a stand-up. You got to know how to engage in a customer call. You got to know what it means to even drive business requirements. It's not just about oh, this is cute and I want to go build this website. Like, there's so much more business that happens before you even get to the point of, like, writing code. That's right. And so, for me, there's this indoctrination into the culture. And I think, you know, truthfully is, we talk about this culture shock and this whole thing being about culture. You know, my whole thing is culture, culture fit and culture misfits. Whether we talk about it or not, our society teaches black people to code switch. Mm. I try to teach them to camouflage. Mm-hmm. Nothing is wrong with you, but understand that you walk, you live in a society where your culture is not dominant. You are not the dominating culture. Therefore, the dominating culture gets to set the rules. So they get to look at you and for no other reason other than they don't like you tell you you are a culture problem. Mm-hmm. We had a culture fit alignment issue with them, right? Which basically means you didn't make me, you didn't make my whiteness comfortable. Right. Right, and so in order to do that, you gotta learn how to walk into these rooms and camouflage or like what I joke with my classes, Turn your cloak on, right? So I walk in the room and I put my cloak on. And there's some days where I'm like, the cloak ain't working. <laughs> all right, I'm about to spaz, <laughs> right? Like the day I walk into the office and you all, y'all decide to have a, like a debate about the bullshit of Black Lives Matter as a group of white people. Right. My cloak, it ain't working. <laughs> it ain't white, you know what I mean? So that's just, that's what Floodgate is, man. It's like, it's really just trying to train people how to come into this industry and survive. Right, that's real, that's real. How do you speak to students about bringing themselves into industry if, or just bringing themselves after Tacoma? I do have two jobs. So there's the computer clubhouse, which mm-hmm. is the after school program that I went to. Mm-hmm. And then there's the school. Mm-hmm. And they're two different environments because mm-hmm. school, there's different rules. I have to teach standards. I have to grade them. The after school program, they can create 
They don't have to worry about me grading it. So there's a little more freedom. There's a lot more freedom there. They get to come and work on stuff that they're interested in. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in both contexts, I'm up front with them from the very beginning. I let them know that they can ask me questions. Because I think a lot of times it's, you know, you have this barrier with your teacher and you feel like you can't ask them questions about culture and about other things like that. My students, they know what I do. They know what I do outside of school. They'd be all up in my business. It's funny because they always say, oh, I found your Facebook. I make my Facebook post public on purpose so that they can see that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And because my mama don't have Facebook, so if she wants to see something, she can go. She refuses to get Facebook. Mm-hmm. But no, you know, they ask me about things that I do outside of teaching, and I am a community activist. Mm-hmm. I do shut down stuff like museums <laughs> and streets and stuff. And so it's important <clears throat> that they know that going into computer science isn't just mean that you have to put on some glasses and a button-up shirt and sit at a desk all day, Mm -hmm. that you can still be yourself and you can still care about other things, that multiple things can be true at once. Mm -hmm. I do talk to students about being a black woman in this field and what that means. Mm -hmm. Other teachers ask me to come be guest speakers for their classes, and it's always funny because I'm like, I'm a teacher at the same school as you. But students do see value in it. So making sure that I'm transparent and upfront about everything, I think it makes it easier for them to ask those questions. Right, right. And talk to me more about just the activism side. And one, why is that important to you? And two, how have you been able to leverage technology in a time where technology is so important to the world? So it's funny because I say activism and I say I'm an activist and I think that's just because that's how other people describe me and they describe it. I see it as doing what I'm supposed to do Mm. and what I was taught to do, Mm. to stand up for what's right and for those people that can't do it, make sure that I'm a voice for them, especially youth. Because a lot of times they look at youth and they just... You know, oh, you're too young. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I catch myself doing it sometimes, too, like get out of grown folks' business. But <laughs> you do have, you know, this is, this is their world. They're going to grow up into it and take over our jobs and stuff. So you want to make sure that they're heard. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important that there's something better for them than what I had. Right. And, you know, that comes from my parents. That comes from Miss LaVersa at the clubhouse. She did not have to come and teach us in Tacoma. She could have been doing so many other things, but it was important for her that all these little black kids here in Tacoma know how to code and know how to do this stuff so that they can go somewhere further than what she did. Mm -hmm. And that's my hope, too. Mm -hmm. And just in general, I think that if you're a teacher, you need to be an activist. I don't, like, there shouldn't be a choice. You should be an activist. Right. goes hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right, right. Speak to me about the role of activism, because you spoke about being an activist as well, Rhea. Yeah, I, I love her answer. I mean, it's, yeah. the, it's the label people have to put on me, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, man, I got, you know, I come from a family of quote-unquote activists, right? right? Like, you know, my father was with, with Malcolm. He left the Nation of Islam, and, you know, that's why my last name is Bersel, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's... Uh, you know, my uncle was a Shakur, was locked up on Rikers Island with eight years with the feds with no charges. I mean, I come from a family. This is what we do, right? right? And um, 
and unashamed, man. We are we are unapologetically black. Right. Right. And I like I don't I don't have a couple things I wasn't raised with, man. I wasn't raised with white shame. Mm-hmm. I wasn't raised with a white superiority complex. I don't look at the white people and think that they are better or anything that they've done is like good. Like I just don't view their world, right? Like I just don't subscribe to it. I also don't have a Judah, uh, this whole like Judeo-Christian value system, right? right? I wasn't right. raised in a church, so I don't even have the religious indoctrination. So for me, I look at a lot of society as like you fucking people are bugging, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just weird like you don't believe in Santa Claus but you believe in fucking Easter shit's crazy right like I don't knock anybody's thing but it's just it's nuts to me right like right. I mean even somebody who was raised Muslim like it's still like a lot of it is just there's great things in religion then there's man's lair on right. stuff right? right so to me activism is acting it's just the doers they're right. the people who do so you got like two type of people and social media has made this worse. Slacktivism? Um, <laughs> well, it, it's the we's. Stay woke. It's the people who start, talk about what we should be doing. Mm-hmm. If any, if you ever find yourself using such language, then you know you don't do shit. Because I have never seen any of my homies that's out here in these streets getting busy ever use the language we. They say what I'm going to do next or you know what that last joint didn't work you know you know how we should fucking change it up but I ain't never sat in a room full of activists like you know what we should be doing as a people is and we should and when we we <laughs> man we ain't nothing but a bunch of eyes that are doing right and so yeah. my whole thing is I always say start with yourself do it do something do whatever it is I don't gotta do what you do Right. Right. Like, you know, I don't agree with the Black Lives Matter movement personally. Mm. Right. Because I don't I know my life matter. I ain't got to assert it for some other people. Let's right. let's get it popping. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, that's why I am with it. Right. right. So but I 100 percent respect what they do. Right. I believe in the science, scientific distribution of labor. Facts. We need people going to do that. Because you also need people like me that's ready to get it popping. Right. And when y'all ready for some people to get it popping, y'all holler at me. Right. But right. like, you know, so. <laughs> But the point is, those people are doing something, and everybody has to find something to do. So that's Absolutely. that's what activism is. And I always say my organization, PACE, um, we're a hacktivism organization. For me, my action takes the form of hacking. Mm-hmm. Now, that's because it is the terminology I'm most common with, but ultimately I look at everything as a system. White supremacy is a system. It's a beautiful system. It's a self-healing system. It'll, mm-hmm. You can tack that motherfucker over here and it fixes itself over here and then come back three times strong, go back over there. Right? right. Like, it's 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 beautiful. I mean, as an engineer, when it comes down to system design, like, yo, you hey, got to love white supremacy. Hey. That system is a beautiful system. That's like, a like a system. But because of you, it is a system and you understand it's a system, I take my, my level of activism to hacktivism. I am looking at the systematic things and I'm I'm attacking their weaknesses like I used to do with software. Right. So it's like, okay, this connects to this, that connects to that, that connects to that, all that shit is strong, but that's weak. <laughs> right. All right, let's let's go. We're gonna attack this thing. Right? Yeah. And so that's how I do, man. I bring down companies. I bring down organizations. I really like I'm we always say like I'm anonymous and I ain't in the shadows. I ain't wearing no mask and I ain't cloaking my voice. Right. right? I'm coming for you. I'm transparent. And if you out here with that bullshit narrative of DNI or 
you know, P, P, you want P, if you want pictures of black kids and with computers, I'm coming for you. Mm. I'm coming for you, and I'm and no. I'm, I'm putting you on Front Street. And so the war, the war that they're about to lose with us is not one where we <clears throat> hacking people's systems and turning them down. We taking away that microphone and that propaganda you like to put out here that you can't quantify, but you get a lot of value back right. from it. Yo, D and I, it's been hijacked, man. I mean, it's the white feminism movement been hijacked anyway. But listen, yeah. So that's what activism is for me right now. It is um, being really transparent around the language and what people deal with. Um, right. and, and, you know, again, getting back to like tearing down those operational definitions of what we deal with and being really clear cut about like, man, the society we live in is what it is. It was created to be what it is. Right. And until we deal with the fact that this system was built. Right. Like as an engineer, somebody sat down and built this system. So we cannot ever think that a system is going to unbuild itself. Right. This ain't AI. We didn't design the system that at one point in time hit a 50-year mark where it starts unbuilding itself. Right. It has only been built to get stronger. Right. Right. And so when, when Donald Trump gets up there and says, you know, I'm here to make America great again, he is what he is saying is I am here to reinforce the cracks in the system. Right. Right. There are some places we got our system has become very vulnerable. It is still functioning. But we have to adhere to the cracks in the system. As a hacktivist, I agree with him. Right. This is a critical point. <laughs> right. Y'all either got to bring back slavery to get this shit back in order, mm. which is what they doing. Right. Not the same way, because the system is beautiful. Remember, it heals itself <laughs> and it does things different three times better later. Right. But if we start locking y'all so up. So if you look at the 13th Amendment, and all, that's right. all. That's this right. system. Right. Right. That keeps. So what's next? Right. Right. Yep. So, you know, for me is you got to see these transitions of the system. So sorry to go on, but that's activism for me. Yeah. Right. It's, it's looking at, you know, this. This game man, that just keeps. You know, from the twenties to you know, from Reconstruction to the sixties to now, like, yep. White rage always follows moments of black excellence. Mm. So you just came off a moment of black excellence with a black president who went through eight years and no problem loving a chocolate woman with some intelligent chocolate kids. White rage was a coming, right, <laughs> right, <laughs> and it's right. here. I mean, they they were so fucking mad. They put this uh, buffoon in, like we need whatever like right. like we'll take unless it. it's a woman. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! Let's not get too crazy. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, that, that different opinion. I, I think they bet on the wrong woman. Yeah. I think this country was definitely ready for a woman. I think the problem was people were betting with uh, were, were only betting on vaginas, mm. and that's the wrong way to approach that. And, you know, a lot of my female friends, they hate that I say that. Mm. Um, but again, I'm, I don't, I'm a straight shooter on everything. <laughs> right? Not just, you know, one thing. I straight shoot. And so I, I believe that, you know, back in Elizabeth Warren or somebody else like that, right. yeah. y'all yeah. would have had a woman president. Yeah. Flat out. Yeah. But, you know, I try to use that same analogy. Is That's why we ain't had fucking Jesse Jackson or Ben Carson. Can't just be black. Right. <laughs> Can't just have a vagina. You gotta still be a good person, qualified, <laughs> smart, intelligent. People gotta fucking like you. Like, there's a lot of yeah. other things that right. go into like right. politics, right? You just right. can't say, "I got a vagina. I'm here. My and my husband had the job before." Right. That shit don't work. No, right. No, like right. so. That's facts. Said, run, Jesse, run. No. Yeah, Jesse, man, I mean, shit. We'd have been Carson if that logic worked. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, we dodge a bullet. We're gonna use that logic, right? Dear, what? No. Sit so, down. That's activism for me, man. That's real. Like just getting out here and breaking stuff down. Can we, talk, 
Can we talk about where you're headed? In the fall, I'm actually going to start a master's program at MIT, the Media Lab, um, specifically the Lifelong Kindergarten Research Group. What do you want to do? That's a good question. I don't completely know. Actually, you read my personal statement. Uh, One of the things that I want to do is get more black and brown kids in this field. And me being a high school computer science teacher at this one school isn't going to cut it. And I want that to be integrated in a lot of things that people do. And so... Looking at the MIT Media Lab, if you look at the different research groups, it probably would have made sense for me to go to the, um, I can't even think of the name of the group right now, but it's like, it's a social group and there's people in there who are doing things like, like different initiatives for black and brown students. It's like policy work. Yeah. And, but I think it's important for if we're looking at Scratch very popular block programming introduction to programming for kids and if there's not input from black and brown people from the very beginning I know some little black kids who are like scratch I don't want to do that that looks boring she's whack you know and so there needs to be input from the very beginning they need to start thinking differently and so I want to be a part of that I don't know what specifically I'm going to work on yet but I'll figure that out in the next few months. For sure. Talk to me about the role that entrepreneurship plays in your life. And how many how many public companies? Public, like, people know about? That right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because <laughs> I consider my nonprofit a company. Right. Because you, you are what we call a serial entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I just sunset this company, but then I... I tried to be the singularly focused over the last few years. It's something mm-hmm. that I tried to work to get to, and it just doesn't work for me. If I had to be honest with my, myself, my brain doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. I attack multiple problems at the same time, and I, I calculate them at the same time. And so that's just what goes on. So now I'm in a place where I'm trying to run things through and scale through process. Mm-hmm. Having smart people under me who can own a lot of the majority of the heavy lifting stuff that it really becomes repetitive. Mm-hmm. So I can focus on strategy and, right. and things of that nature. So right now I have three entities, three or four entities right now. And the reason I say, you know, the four, the nonprofit is big because the nonprofit itself, it's Pan-African Center for Empowerment. We call ourselves a steam, um, a steam engine for activism. And so kind of taking the whole STEM thing and flipping it slightly as science, technology, entrepreneurship, arts, and marketing. And so in that, there's almost a separate company out of each one of those initiatives, even in that nonprofit that has, you know, an executive director and whatever. So I've run strategy at a higher level and Fluggate Academy came out of that, right? So that's our science and technology initiative um, in the agency. But entrepreneurship is, the reason I say that is because just as much as I'm teaching technology, I'm also teaching entrepreneurship, and that's the next thing I'm, I'm rolling out is another program called 10th Labs. And in 10th Labs, it's a startup school. It's how do we take black and brown kids from underserved communities who have dope ideas and already know you got to hustle shit, you alive, right? And so, like, the simple fact that you can make it every day in the hood that you come from, right. flat out, just if you got good business ideas, let me just teach you how to, you know, the things that nobody teaches if you go to high school, right? right. Like how to go even set up a business entity, right. like a simple LLC. <clears throat> how do how do you and your homie go get a partnership agreement and go open a bank account and just go get a line of credit? Like just really simple things. And That's so it. 
you know, for me, I have an investment thesis where I look for ideas that can be large on scale. That's like, wow, this is really dope. This can go outside your community and actually have some impact either nationally or globally. Right. Then there's some things I look at and just go, this is just dope. And it might just be dope for you. And a small investment for me gets you up and going. But that investment comes back and where typical investors go, I'm not invested in that. Dude, what do you mean? They want $10,000, right? right? Like, right. Dude, ten grand brought me back fifty. Cool, I made some money, but at the end of the day, I actually empowered somebody that turned on something in their community, and now it's employing people or doing right. so. You know, anything around like affordable housing or sustainable or or job creation, right. um, I'm interested in. And so for me, it's it's that it's again, it's that activism. Right. This, this this it all is rooted in an economic base, right? right? And like right. so. It doesn't matter. Like, I can't just be teaching people how to code because I don't want you just walking up into white companies to work. Mm. <laughs> right? Like, that doesn't empower go. my right. community. Right. Right? Like, right. I right. want you to turn around and know how to code, and I want to put you with the small mom and pop business that then go build their website or teach you how to be a freelancer. So that's the whole part of them that's even it. interning with me at the agency is your first three months you're learning, then you come and work for my agency for three months. But in that three months, not only am I just teaching you the industry, I'm actually teaching you how to be a freelancer. Right. Right. You're, you're sitting around people who don't go in offices. <laughs> right, right. Right. You're on virtual calls. You're on Slack. Right. And you're just like, but I'm at a coffee shop right now. Right. And I'm paying you. Right. Right. And so like, you know, you you saw my gram. Like I'm moving around, do stuff. Yep. But like, that's, that's my it. office. That's it. Right. And yep. so there's a lifestyle that if you don't want to cloak. Right. If you don't want to camouflage or culture fit every day. And that's right. It. There's another side to this that you can do. And so for me, the more I can show people how they could do that, you know, one of my most promising students was coming from Tacoma. Right. No job. He was unemployed when he started. No car, busing, figuring out however he could get here. Right. So for me, like, you got kids, you live with your mommy. Like, that dude, you turn around and get somebody who had zero dollars a year, and now they're making $60,000 a year. You've just changed their family. Right. Right, you changed the entire family. Absolutely, the, the stress levels even change in the family when you are not worried about where the bills are coming from this month. Right, other people start to dream. Right, your kids see you do that and start wanting to go. Well, shit, daddy did this thing. And I saw him. That was, but you also show that, like, man, daddy or mommy put their head down and did something. Right, Sacrifice. so it just even shows you, like, so all of that has such an impact on Absolutely. a community. And so for me, there's just. So much aspects of our community that's broken that I'm approaching all of it like an entrepreneur. That's it. Right? Like, I've only had successes in, in entrepreneurship, so I'm not an educator. Right. Right? Like, that's, right. that's the thing. Like, I didn't come to this as, like, an educator. Right. I came to this mad at educators. Right. Like, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm not a soft problem. I'm an engineer, and I'm an entrepreneur, and this shit is broken. Right. And this solution that y'all offering is whack. That's not going to fix it. Right. And that's and so it. That's it. That's, yeah. that's how we attacked it. What would you tell us someone who's in a computer science program uh -huh. that's getting ready to come out? So I would tell them, one, that there is no mold. <clears throat> you don't have to fit what people think you're supposed to do, what you're supposed to look like. Looking back, there's no way I was supposed to go to MIT. Came from Tacoma low-income, single-parent home. First thing that I ever wrote code for by myself was an interactive CD-ROM, and it was called What If There Were No Black People? <laughs> and I was talking about black inventors and where we would be without them. Mm -hmm. And to think about that and think about where I am now, you know, there is no mold. There's, there was no right sequence. I went to UW to get my master's, didn't like it, dropped out. 
there is no mold, you know, do what it is that you want to do, be passionate about that. And you can be multiple things at once, you know, do work with Tacoma Action Collective. We all do so many different things, HIV, AIDS prevention, artists, advocates for domestic violence victims, and we come together and we put together our skills. You know, we went to South Africa last year to speak at the International AIDS Conference. People are looking at me like, well, what does computer science have to do with HIV, AIDS? And I'm like, we were the number two trending topic in South Africa while we were there. And part of that was strategy, using technology, making sure that when I'm doing the social media for actions that we're doing, making sure that we're telling the narrative. We get to tell our own stories. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that happens enough. We don't get to tell our own stories. And so, you know, people look and they say, oh, well, in order to get to this place, I have to follow this step, this step, and that step. And it's not true. You can make your own path and do what it is that you want to do. So that would be my advice. For real. You're speaking my language. You're speaking my language. <laughs> Stories. Uh, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yes. I love what this, I mean, look, man, I, I, I keep feeling like, you know, Bron Bron, right? Like, I'm going to just come on behind her and just dunk. Yeah. Right? Like, she, she she's nailing it. I mean, you know, it really is. There is no mole. And, and to that, you know, I'm a very, uh, you know, I hint at the fact that I'm not religious, but what that balances out doesn't mean I'm not spiritual. Mm. Right? And so I'm a very spiritual person. I'm very metaphysical. Um, and I believe people need to be definite in a purpose. You know, one of the things it took me a long time to get to was there's this voice inside of us that's energy we all hear, we all feel. When something ain't right, like, you know, we all get them little hairs or that feeling about this person or that job or this situation. Like, it took me too long to get to a place where I just trusted that. Right. Which just mm. instinctively, I just go with it. As of this year, I would just say, I'm just getting to the point now where I'm 100% in what I call the hypnotic rhythm of the universe, mm-hmm. where I just submit to it and I just put my head down and I do the work I want to do. I do the work that my heart and my spirit and my soul is calling for me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was very hard because I, li- I literally walked out of a corporate situation in January making a shitload of money. Right. And, and no, I mean, to come work yeah. in the community and teach black people how to code who ain't paying me. Right. And it was crazy because I remember, and right after I did, I had another job offer kind of come through. Mm-hmm. And it was a significant amount of money that it made me question that decision to like, oh, maybe floodgate Kuwait. <laughs> you know, and, and what it got to was like, it didn't sit right in my spirit. Right. And I had to go, man, like there was something that was calling me to go do floodgate and I just had to go do it. And it was just like, I couldn't treat it like this thing I was doing on the side anymore. Like, it had to be, like, I had to be definite in my purpose. And when I decided to do that, man, like, literally the skies opened. Everything that I would have never thought would come my way started coming that way. And it's it's just all working out. And so, like, the whole thing is just literally go with that flow, go with your gut. And I think the other thing is don't lose yourself. Don't lose yourself trying to make other people happy because you'll you'll always be doing that then because nobody will ever be happy and you'll you know nobody's ever the same person and there's no normal so if you get into this rhythm and this habit of trying to please others right. you'll be doing it with every person you meet and you'll never know who you are but with that you know be conscious of this this world culture fit that we deal in, especially in computer science and in the technology this whole terminology i mean i'm on a personal crusade to kill that word mm. um, you know one of our market initiatives is culture misfits right. uh, <laughs> com and like very similar like we have a podcast where all i'm doing is talking to black engineers about 
the first experience they had in white companies that made them feel like they wanted to go jump off the fucking building, right? Like, <laughs> like you know, because everybody, listen, every person has that story hey, if you ask absolutely. them. And so, you know, it's, it's about being conscious of, like, you have that cloak. And it's what I'm saying is, like, learning how to camouflage instead of code switch. Right. Right? Like, you know, it took me a long time to realize that I wasn't even conscious of it. Right. And there was Lim's bookstore, you know, rest in peace to sister. Lim's had a Kwanzaa festival a couple years back. And in there, they gave out a questionnaire. It was a post-traumatic slave disorder questionnaire. Mm. And it went through a bunch of things. And then me being super conscious, active, I was like, oh, I'm going to rock this joint. Then it came down to one question that was said, do you change your voice around white people? Mm. And I said, shit, yeah. Like, who right. don't do that? Right. Yeah. And it was like, man, and you realize like consciously or subconsciously or not, I did that. Yeah. Right. And that wasn't, that was me not being all. And so like get into this. A lot of us. Man, we all do it. Right. And so I still do it. Right. But now I'm, now I own it. Right. When I do it, I'm camouflaging for a very specific reason because I'm playing you. Right. Because outside of that, I'm I'm self-made. I'm okay now. I'm comfortable. I grow my beard. I do what I want. I'm speak how I want. If you uncomfortable, so be it. You know, I was just in Boulder, Colorado, like I mentioned, at a very starchy dinner, and I made a Trump joke. <laughs> no one laughed, right? So, we, which, which which told me who where I was sitting at, right? right. Yeah. I laughed. You know why I laughed? Fuck it, y'all need me. Y'all paid me to be here. I'm gonna make another Trump joke. <laughs> Because, like, that's the only power I have is to own me now, right? Like, I'm not culture, I'm not cloaking no more unless I want to. Right. Right? And so, like, so just be authentic, be you, you know, but that's hard early in your career, right? So you you pose a question that's kind of like coming out of school. Be conscious of that, right? And just learn that, like, learn to take your power back outside of what society has trained you to believe. You gotta, you gotta go take your power back. We magic, man. I like that. This is Chalisa. You're listening to No Blueprint. Shout out to Tacoma. This is Arif Garcel. You're listening to No Blueprint. Don't be a sucker. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs>